Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Rick Burgess here. Glad that you are here. If you are joining us for the first time uh, every Wednesday, uh, with very few exceptions, you know, holidays and things like that, uh, we have a Bible study here on Wednesdays. Uh, and uh, we do this and have been doing this for four years. If you'd like to go back and catch Bible studies you may have missed, you can do that by going to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel if it's within the last year or so. If it's further back than that, you can go all the way back about three and a half years uh, at BurgessMinistries.com by just clicking on listen. Uh, so we're in the Gospel of John. We're going to finish chapter 11 today and then get into a little bit of 12 uh, before we wrap up today. And um, if uh, if you are wondering uh, about some other things that are going on, uh, TheManChurch.com. Talked about that last week and lots of you are going there and you're giving us your email. We'll be launching a national uh, discipleship strategy uh, that's been based on some of the things we've been doing here and and have been doing at my home church uh, for the last four years and making that available to the entire country. Uh, there's many churches that are already ready to plug in. If we can start consulting with you, if you're a church or you're a community group or you're an individual who just says, I'd like to add to the, uh, you know, add to my arsenal on things that God is using to disciple uh, you from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. We're going to have a, a you know place where you can go and, uh, and implement a full-blown men's ministry for your church, uh, your group, or it can also be of a great resource to you as an individual man, uh, because you cannot disciple a man by treating him like he's a woman or a child. So this is designed uh, for for men by men. Uh, so uh, themanchurch.com, it'll go live on March 2nd, but you can go ahead and subscribe, watch the trailer, and then start getting information from us as we make it available. Uh, also, don't forget uh, a couple of things going on this coming weekend. If you are watching this live or you're checking it uh, this week, uh, this coming Sunday night in Birmingham, which is where this originates from, uh, at my home church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church, we will be having man church. These are the services we do four times a year, just designed for men. There's no ticket required. There's no charge for that. James Merritt out of Atlanta will be coming over and challenging, challenging our men, but we also will be offering you an opportunity to plug into a Bible study. Uh, we'll offer uh, several options, or you can certainly become part of what we do here if you're ever in the Birmingham area or if you're currently live in Birmingham, you can certainly join us. Uh, also, uh, for Merid Meridian, Mississippi, the Mississippi State Evangelism Conference is this weekend. I'll be speaking at North Crest Baptist Church Sunday night at 6, and we'll kick off that conference. Johnny Hunt will be part of that, Michael Catt, uh, Kevin Ham, uh, and others. You can get those details at rickandbubba.com under upcoming events. So uh, let's, uh, let's open in a, in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our study today. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for reconciliation. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Uh, Lord, I know today you'll continue to refine us as, as you have said, only those that do the will of your Father are those that have truly been redeemed. May we examine our lives today and, and prepare to, to walk through the things that you have uh, inspired John to speak to us about today. May we apply those to our individual lives and may we walk out of this room uh, anytime we're exposed to the Word of God. May we walk out of that space uh, never the same. Uh, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for being with us, guys that are in the room. So let's uh, let's go to John chapter 11. Uh, we I intended to finish all of 11 uh, last Wednesday, but uh, the Holy Spirit was moving and we got to preaching, and so we didn't finish it. But when we left last week, uh, we we were at a very big moment, uh, and that is when Jesus Christ is just you know he he'd been showing us he was the bread of life. He showed us he was the water of life. He showed us that uh, that he was the uh, you know the uh, the 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 light of the world. So he he had he's life and light and bread and water. But then this time he last time he showed us when he raised Lazarus from the dead that he's actually life himself. He is the giver of life. And with all of us, we have the ability to be redeemed and 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 live eternally and even even have victory over over eternal death. So the last thing that we heard was Lazarus in his in his grave clothes. And you know we love that great truth when Jesus looked at him and said, Hey, go unbind him and let him go. Which is the ultimate, uh, you know, picture of redemption. You know, I, I have I've taken you from dead to alive, and and now all that sin that bogs you down, all that flesh that bogs you down, all the stuff you you once had, I've freed you from that. Take it off. You're free. And we should say hallelujah to that, shouldn't we? So now we, we take a turn because this, this miracle, remember, we're getting to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and he's moving to the cross and you'll see a big step today because uh, in verse 45 it says that many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. So let's land there first. So, so there were people that really just came to console Martha and Mary because of the earthly death of, uh, death of Lazarus. And they were there for that reason. And you remember Jesus did a lot of things uh, that, that made sure that a lot of people were, were there to see the miracle. One of the things we talked about, about before, we didn't do it this last time, but we have before, is when Jesus actually asked Martha, where have you laid him, as if he didn't know. You know, th th this, this was his opportunity to get everybody moving uh, over to the tomb where they could see what happened. Well, it had a big impact on some of the Jews that had come to, to visit with Mary. Mary and Martha uh, to see what he did. And it says that when they saw it, they, they actually believed in him. So, so many came and saw what happened, believed in Jesus. But now look what happened next. Because you always have this. You know, remember, Jesus divides. He, he, he's controversial. He do, look, if you, if you are committed to Jesus Christ, I promise you, he tells us in Scripture, and we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. If you're, now, if you just kind of believe in Jesus and don't make trouble, you may not have any trouble. But if you're a devout follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to meet opposition. Because remember that. Paul told Timothy when he's getting ready to hand his ministry off to him, he said, look, when you take over this church, when you take over my ministry, tell all who live a godly life that they will be persecuted. Not some, all who choose to live a godly life. So I would, what's the standard we always put before ourselves? The guys that have been here before, you know. If I look in my life and I'm not meeting any opposition from the world, uh, then it could be this because I don't live a godly life. The world is extremely comfortable with me because I looked and act just like they do. So, so we touched on that a little bit last week. Uh, so now what happens next? Look at 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Interesting. And this is the thing where you, where, you, where you look at choices that are made. You take the same situation and put it in front of a group of human beings. And part of the group will look at Jesus and say, I'm in. The other group will see the exact same thing and say, I want nothing to do with him. Have you noticed that in your own lives? I mean, so, so we, we all experience the same thing. And some of us said, this is my day. 
and others say, I acknowledge everything you said and I saw everything you saw, uh, but I reject Jesus. You know, I've been that man. I, I've been the man who, who encountered Jesus and said, I'm in. And I've been the man who encountered Jesus and said, I'm out. I have no excuse before the Lord. The gospel has been around me my entire life. I was blessed enough to be born into an environment that told me about Jesus all the time. I, I would have never been able to claim that I was an unreached people group. Uh, so a lot of my life, you know, was spent knowing exactly what Jesus had done and just rejecting it. And so there were some people that said, I saw this, but I'm actually angry with Jesus. I think he's trouble and I'm going to tell on him. And so they're not going to the Pharisees uh, because they're excited and hope the Pharisees will, will give their life to Jesus as well. That's not it at all. So the thing that we have to take away from this is that Jesus, as we see throughout Scripture and throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is always dividing people up. And he says he's divisive. Go read Luke 14. Make a note of that. He says that he's divisive. He said he'll divide a family up. You know, and I'm sure that all of us can probably speak to that too. Uh, I certainly can. Uh, so, so anyway, so, so we know that the Pharisees now are being told, and look at 47, so the chief, pre the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? So let me kind of set the scene of what's happening here, what, what John's talking about. So we have the chief priest, that's the religious leaders. Then we kind of have the Pharisees. Which, which is another group. And then when they say the council, what they're saying is we're bringing in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, that was the ruling force. They would be the ones that would decide about what this one will be taken and, and all this. So, so they've got everybody together that they need to get together for them to do something about Jesus. And it's interesting because when I read this every time, I think to myself, so the chief priest and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin... They are there and they're saying, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? So they're acknowledging that there are a lot of signs and they're not thinking to themselves, what can we do to find out more about him? So maybe we can determine whether he is Messiah or not. They're saying that the signs Jesus are doing are troublesome to them because he may be taking away their authority. They don't see the signs as a good thing. They see this as a bad thing. And you think in your mind, if you guys know the Scriptures supposedly better than anybody, and Jesus tells us them all the time, shouldn't they be the ones telling everybody else this stuff we're seeing is really confirming that this man is who we've been waiting for? But see, they knew a lot of Scripture, like a lot of, a lot of us maybe or people that we know, this is also to tell, tell us that you might know a lot of things about God and still be blind to, to who God is. Just because just you know a lot about God, I've told you this and I had to put this in my own life, I, Satan knows a lot about God. The demons know a lot about God. The demons always got Jesus correct even when the disciples didn't. So to have a lot of knowledge about God and have a lot of knowledge about Scripture is only as good as you're willing to actually apply it to a true belief. Uh, if not, you could just know as much about the Bible as you know about football. But, but football is not going to redeem you. Uh, you're just knowledgeable. So, so, so that, that's not really enough, is it? It's good to be knowledgeable, but, uh, but not, not, if, not if, it, if you don't t turn that into redemption in some way. So they want to know what they're going to have to do. And they're trying to figure out 
what, what, what's going on. Uh, commentary says that the, that the Sanhedrin, that they, they ruled right in there. They, they were around A.D. 18 to A.D. 36 when they were the ruling body. Uh, and, uh, and so we're going to, this is when uh, Caiaphas was in charge. So now Caiaphas is going to step, uh, step in. Let's check him out and what happens next. So, so Caiaphas is in charge, A.D. 18 to 36, and, and, and he steps in. He, he, he and Pontius Pilate ruled for about the same amount of time. Which is which is interesting. Uh, so in, in forty eight, if we let let him go on like this, everyone b- will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they're saying why they don't see these signs is a, is a good thing. They think that this we're going to lose our power. The Romans are going to take away this place for us and going to take away our nation. So now now Caiaphas steps in, and and what's cool, and I did I didn't know this, that he and Pontius Pilate. Were also when when when, that, when it's finally over for Caiaphas, he and Pontius Pilate. When when I was doing some studying, that they're both removed at the same time. So once Jesus comes back, these two guys have a hard time hanging on to power, and they're both eventually removed at the same time, which I think is uh, is kind of a cool fact. So so then Caiaphas says something interesting. He steps in in 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So Caiaphas comes in and he goes, look, I don't want to hear all this talk about all these signs and, and wonders and how we're all scared that we're going to lose our place. And, and you, you guys don't know anything at all. You know what he's saying? There's a simple solution. Take him out. It would be better for this one guy to die than for all these things you're talking about. We're standing around as if we can't do anything about it. Let's do something about it. And and uh, and so he's 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 starting to lay down uh, his case. But look at 51 and 52. John's talking about Caiaphas. He, he, he's not he's not trying to be prophetic. But think about it. He really is. He really is saying what's about to happen. But now he's thinking about it from a political standpoint. But he's actually being quite prophetic about exact that is exactly what's going to happen and so John clarifies that in 51 he did not say this of his own accord but uh, being high priest that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and then he says this and not for the nation only but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad so from that day on they made plans to put him to death so John's making the point that the high priest uh, you know, was actually sending out a, a message of prophecy. Uh, even though he was speaking purely political, he, he's also speaking like a prophet. Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then what? Jesus would, would also uh, die for that nation, but also, for, for them, but also for the scattered children of God. And then he would bring everybody in and make them one. And, and John's making the point. He doesn't understand what he's saying, but what he's saying is actually uh, going to take place. Uh, sometimes God will speak through people who don't even know that they're being used. And that's what was happening here. Uh, and, and so so now, uh, if you look at, uh, at 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So it's a done deal. Uh, he's considered marked for death. And, and, and they're saying, we, we were letting everything go on 
And if you look at Scripture right here, it's making it very clear. We were trying to find another way, but when you raise somebody from the dead, we got to kill you. That, that's over the line. Because now we don't want to have to make the case against that. That's going to be a very difficult case to make because this, this was too big. And we know that a lot of the Jews that were there for the, to mourn, they believed. But the, the, some went away to say, hey, we got trouble with this guy over here. He just raised somebody from the dead. Because now what we have now, and you'll see it goes even further, what we have now uh, is a walking, talking problem, Lazarus. And so we have to kill Jesus at this point. So now if we see him again, we're going to do what we got to do to kill him. So Jesus is now walking around marked for, for death. And, and then look at 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed with the disciples. Now, the reason why we see this happening, all of us in here know that Jesus Christ, from the minute he hit the ground, is on the way to the cross. Okay? But what is he showing again? Nobody else is going to force his hand and take him to the cross until he allows it. Until he allows it. And, and, and I want you to think about that even in our, in our own lives. If we're walking around under the authority of Jesus, does it mean that nothing bad is going to happen to us? No. I tell you what it does mean, though. There's nothing going to happen to us that he doesn't allow. He's going, he's going to be in charge of what will and won't happen, and, and nothing's going to happen to you. know. It, I talk about this all the time. And, of course, we make the funny joke when we're getting to fly around a lot. I was kidding around the other day, and, and I'll, I've always had this thing that if the plane gets in trouble, I tell the pilot, just nosedive us. You know, I, I, I want to be here one minute, and I want to be with Jesus the next. I don't want this flipping the ball of fire thing. I come out mostly burned. And, and you know, I, that, I, yeah, I know that might be a great testimony, but I'm going to ask the Lord not to do that. I mean, if, if, I said, hey, if we're in trouble, nosedive it. And, and so I had, I, had the one, I had one of the guys that was flying with me. He said, well, I, I don't, do, do I have a vote in all this? And uh, I said, well, look, man, if it's my time, it's my time. And then he looked at me and he said, but what if I'm on the plane and it's not my time? And you just nosedived me. Maybe you were going to die, but I was going to make it. And I said, well, then I'll let the pilot make the call. But, but, um, so, so the, but, 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 but we need to walk in some confidence on that. Now, that doesn't mean that we go out and become daredevils and play games with death. That's, that's disrespectful. But we don't think about the Bible. How many times did the Bible tell us that he did not call us to a spirit of fear? Do y'all know that the Bible says anxiety is sinful? Yeah. You ever thought about that? You know what else I've, I've thought about too, which goes back the other way, and I'm just now dealing with this, and it was a hard road for me, and, and that's this past weekend, obviously, with the anniversary of my youngest son's earthly death and being able to preach and talk about that, and, and it was a powerful weekend. Thanks for all your prayers. It was just a phenomenal weekend. Uh, but one of the things that I really had to learn is that self-reliance is also a sin. You know, because that, that, that's about what we talked about last week. When we say things are perfectly natural, well, that's why they're, per they're perfectly naturally wrong. And that's one of the things that I've always, you know, I, I would get to the point where I would go to God for something that was completely overwhelming, but I didn't go to God to get up and work today because I'm self-reliant. Well, self-reliance is sinful. You know, I, I need to, depend, to be dependent on God to be in His perfect will on every little thing I'm doing, not, hey, I got this, I'll get to you if I got something that I can't handle. Well, I got news for you. There's nothing I can really handle without God. You know, because I might be handling it, but am I handling it under His authority? 
I may be handling it incorrectly. So, so that's, that's a beautiful thing. He's showing us an example that he is in charge, and he makes that clear to Pilate, which we'll get to uh, later in, in John. So look at 55. Now that the Passover of the Jews was at hand, uh, and many went up from, from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So th this is ceremonial purification. It's mandated, if you want to write this down, this is what John's referring to, Numbers chapter 9, verse 6. Make a note of that. Th th this, was, um, th this was a ceremonial... Uh, if you had any kind of... If, they, if there was anything about them they weren't sure about... It was a ceremonial defilement of some sort. Uh, you know, like say they wanted to be sure before Passover got here that they went into this ceremonial cleansing of anything they weren't quite sure about or something they needed to kind of work on. And so they knew, here's the thing, this is cool. You know why they couldn't catch Jesus doing that? Because he didn't need to. So if we're going to do a stakeout, I tell you where you're not going to do a stakeout to catch Jesus at some ceremonial purification ceremony because he didn't need it. Uh, so, so they couldn't get him there, and so, uh, but they're talking about that this was happening. So they're looking for Jesus. Look at 56. So they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That, that you think he, that he would not come to the feast at all? It says, now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So... The bottom line is this, looking for Jesus here was a waste of time, but we do know that everybody's discussing, hey, this guy's in trouble. He did this big miracle. They're looking for him. You think he's going to keep coming to the feast? You think he'll, he'll show up? Do you, should we expect to see him? And so what we know now, just picture, there's, in our times, we would literally see what? We'd see Crime Stoppers. Uh, we, we would have all kinds. Of, you'd be in the post office, which... You know, Jerry Seinfeld did a very funny bit about this. Why do we put up the most wanted people in the post office? Who looks at that? You know, I remember Jerry Seinfeld did a thing where he would look at it, and he would look at the guy behind him, and then he would look over here and go, he's not here. You know, I mean, why, is, why do they think that's where we're going to see it? But anyway, so, so, but they would be wanted posters everywhere. If you see Jesus, you let us know. If you see Jesus, you call Crime Stoppers. If you see Jesus, we need to know about it. So that takes us now into chapter 12. Jesus is now a marked man. He's been marked for death. Uh, and now uh, we move into chapter 12. Now, if you have your Bible or something your Bible on it, it the first part's just kind of setting up what day of the week it is. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, this is a big meeting. Now, we're just sitting around having dinner with Lazarus as, as if it's no big deal. You know, he's been dead. He's back. And, and so now, now Jesus is going to visit them again. If, if you get into thinking about how they considered the Sabbath, and it's really a lot of things. If I told you about it, it would sound like I, I guess I'm, I'm really sharp or whatever. But it has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about today. All John is letting you know is it was six days before the Passover. And most of the scholars looking at the way they kept the timeline and the way they operated on the Sabbath, that this was probably sometime on a Saturday. And that when we get to the dinner, we're probably getting into Saturday night as the Sabbath is kind of ending. Uh, so anyway, so, so they, they gave a dinner for him there. I mean, let's face it. We give dinners for a lot of reasons. You raised me from the dead. 
and we got to bring you over and do something. You know what I mean? We got we got to have some kind of dinner uh, to, to to celebrate what has just taken place. So so they did, and and Jesus shows up for this. So um, uh, so Martha, no one surprised here if you know their personalities, is serving. Lazarus was the one reclining with him at the table, and uh, and so they they they've got everybody, and they're saying, I didn't know this because you know I'm I'm from the south. To me, do y'all call it dinner or supper? We call it supper. I mean, where I grew up, you, you had breakfast, you had lunch, and you had supper. Uh, they said that the Greek word being used here for dinner, in that culture, dinner could have been any time of the day. All that really signifies is that it's a meal. Sometimes during the day, it doesn't signify any time of day, but they think this was at night. So, uh, so Mary uh, took a pound of expensive ointment and made, and made, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. All right, so first of all, as you probably know, throughout the Gospels, there are, there are different accounts of a similar scene. Now, John has given us some details that, that, that are a little bit different from what Matthew and Mark are talking about. Now, I will tell you this. Most scholars take Luke's discussion of the woman of ill repute and her crying on his feet and washing his feet with her hair that that's a different woman and a different story. Because it doesn't, it doesn't say anything about Nard. It doesn't say anything about you know the, the, what, what goes on with him being anointed at that. And, and there's some discussion about that. But because the details, are, they, don't, they don't line up with John, they, and, and there's no indication that Mary was a woman of ill repute or had a bad reputation. So they're like, don't, Luke's not giving us his, his, his version of, what the, of the same story. He's got a different woman. So undoubtedly, this symbolism that Jesus wanted everybody to see, he did more than once. Now, when, now, there's some things that are not exactly the same with Matthew and Mark's account of what many think is the same thing, because they talk about nard, and they, but they give you some different details. So it, it's not important. What we can tell you pretty much, most agree, the Luke account is a different woman, and Matthew and Mark and John may all be talking about the same event. Uh, you know, one, one says it's in the house of Simon the leper. Some people say, is that an indication that, that Mary and Martha, that that's their father? You know, because there's some details there that John doesn't share. And keep in mind, John's already told us that Mary did this in, in chapter 11. Keep in mind, when studying the Bible, they're not attempting to be chronological at all. All, the, all they're trying to do is say, let me tell you all the things that happened. So when John's telling everybody about this, all these events have already happened. So really, if you were in the room and he he goes to eleven, he says, "Now Mary, and that's the one that you know that uh, that put the put the expensive perfume on Jesus." Well, in the Bible, we hadn't heard about that yet, but everybody that was hearing that story from John and documented, they knew that because they they this has all already happened. So don't get caught up in the chronological because that's not the intent. Uh, uh, if you want to study, there is a Bible available now. They've done a lot of work, and we have one at the house. It's pretty interesting, and it takes the Bible and does it chronologically. And the reason why I kind of like that is when you get to the New Testament, every account of the same event is listed at the same time. Because it says, when this happened, here's what all the gospel said about it. When this happened, this is what all the gospel said about it. So that, it's really a cool way to study the Bible. But right now, we, we're not in a chronological Bible. So, so we, we, we have this scene set up. So let's talk about what she's, she's pouring out here. Um, now, it, they, they think it's somewhere around... 
11 ounces or so of this nard. Now, nard uh, came from the root of the nard plant. This was, uh, this was a perfume that came from India. Um, and, of course, the symbolism, is, is you, you have to picture... That the way they ate, you know, they reclined. They sat and they kicked their feet out and they reclined around the table. So here's Lazarus and here's Jesus, which I can't imagine that conversation. And they're lounging around the table. Hey, I want to thank you for raising me from the dead. And, you know, and uh, kind of hard hopping out of there with the grave clothes on. But, uh, you know, there was, uh, you wouldn't believe the things we were talking about. And I kept hearing you call me out and all this. So they're having a discussion. So picture Jesus' feet are after, extended out away from him as they're sitting at the table. And so the symbolism here is that Mary, as she's taking this nard, and she, she's taking this expensive ointment, and she's anointing the feet of Jesus, her, her, her symbolism here is that she is acknowledging that she will be a servant of this king. She, she's on the feet. She's at his feet for a reason. She's not, she's, she's not completely up at his head. Right? That, that's how you anoint a king. And there's certainly some of the accounts saying his head it did actually get anointed as well. So, but in, in some of the other accounts of this. But, but, but John wants to focus on the feet. And the reason why he wants to focus on the feet is he's saying Mary is showing the kind of countenance that we should have. When the Lord Jesus is in, in our presence, we, we are the Lord Jesus' servants. He, he led as a servant, and we're a servant of, 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 our, of our king, and our king is the type of king that serves those that he's in charge of, so we should be likewise. So she is anointing his feet to show respect that she understands she's a servant of, of the king of kings. And the Lord goes, hey, Mary and Martha, they got it now. They got it now. And so, and so Jesus is spending time with them. And so the other part is that the servant attitude toward Jesus and the fact that the, 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 the smell filling the house symbolizes their love for Jesus regardless of the cost. And that this gesture far exceeds the event itself. It's much bigger than, hey, it'd be cool if we took some stuff that smells really good and let's anoint Jesus' feet because we like him. Man, we think he's awesome. It's bigger than that. This is a big, big scene, and there's all kinds of symbolism in here. The servant's attitude, our devotion, and our love for you, and our love for you, Jesus, extends out and away, and it's far-reaching. It fills the whole house. Picture that scene. Can you imagine what it smelled like? Can you almost smell it? That whole house just fills with the aroma of what? Adoration and love for Jesus. And, and, and the application to us is do we go and we live a life that everywhere we go, the smell and the odor of the devotion and adoration for Jesus everywhere we go fills the room. Do, 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 if, I, if I went and talked to people about you and you went and talked to people about me and you said, hey, let me ask you something. You believe Rick loves Jesus? What would they say? Man, every time I talk to him and his love and adoration for Jesus just fills the room. Or, or, if, or would somebody talk, uh, talk to him and say, hey, do you, do, you see, do you think he loves Jesus? Ah, yeah, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, he believes in him. He's a Christian. 
But, but does his love and adoration fill every room that he goes into? You ready for this one? Including his own house. That's the tough one, isn't it? There's a lot of men, and I've been guilty of this too, that treat strangers better than they treat their own family. Now, are we supposed to love, love strangers? Yeah, and show them the love of Jesus. But let me tell you where a lot of men mess up. They want to show the love of Jesus in these very inch-deep, mile-wide relationships. But then they don't bring that same adoration and smell of their adoration for Jesus into their own house. Their own house doesn't smell like Jesus. It doesn't smell like adoration for Jesus at all. It smells different in there. Can I tell you, if that's taking place, your children and your wife... Know it. I mean, this is, this is the big question that every man who claims to be a follower of Jesus, this is the question. Does your wife and do your children respect you? You say, well, Rick, the Bible calls. It says very clearly in Ephesians 5 that we're to love our wife as Christ loved the church and he gave up himself for the church and we're to bathe her blameless in the word of God. And it clearly says... For wives to respect their husband. It certainly does. And those are two, two different words, aren't they? Because women and men do not interpret love the same way. Men and women are equal, but they're not the same. There's a reason those are two different words. Because God made a man, when a man comes to me and says, I don't think my wife loves me, it won't take me long to realize what he really says is, I don't think my wife respects me. Because that's how we interpret love. If a man doesn't feel respected, he doesn't feel loved. And a woman doesn't feel loved if she's not loved and, and caressed and, and taken care of. But here's the question. Is your wife, if she doesn't respect you, is she defiant? Could be. Could be. She might have a Jezebel spirit. She may, she may, my wife talks about, she says, since the fall of mankind, women have always wanted to be in charge. That, that, that was the sin of Eve. Adam, Adam let it happen, so that was his sin. Eve, Eve tried to force the hand and say, here's what we're going to do, and, and she's going to run things, and Adam let her. But then the fall was that he said, part of the punishment is, I'm going to put your husband in charge of it, and you're going to resent it. And, and, and in, in a flesh, in an unredeemed state, that's what you find. So, so that could be, it could be that the woman is wrong. I mean, that does happen sometimes. Or, sadly, what's most of the time, what's most of the time, is that when a woman doesn't respect her husband, you know what it is most of the time? It's because she knows him. And she knows he's a fake. That he goes out and acts like he adores Jesus to the world, but inside that house, he acts like he don't even know Jesus. And see, that's hard to respect. That's hard to respect. And you may put on a show for the world, but your wife and your children know you. And if I were to ask your wife or your child if the love of Jesus fills the house, what would they say? I don't know the answer to that. Now, for some of you, I know your wife well enough, I can find out. And if some of you ever want to take that next step with me to get to know who your wife is, I'll ask them. Just because I love you. And you can ask mine too. And, and, I, and I hope most of the time you get, you get a good answer. In the times that you don't, I want to know. Because that's called severe accountability. But now we get, we get to Judas. 
Now we get to Judas. And I, it's funny because, see, John's writing about Judas after he knows what happens. And he makes it real clear he don't like Judas. Okay, and now, now keep in mind, he, he, John's not being prophetic. John knows it's already happened. So, so now he's coming back and, and, and listen to this. So here's what he says. So, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and look at parentheses, he who was, who was about to betray him. So John, he, John just can't, he just can't let it go. And now Judas, by the way, you know, the one who's about to betray Jesus, because what did Judas do? He betrayed Jesus, and John already knows that when he's writing this. So he makes it clear so there's no misunderstanding on, on, on who we're talking about here. And he says, Why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Hmm. It's a legitimate question. The value, by the way, of 300 denarii, that's a complete year's pay. Whatever you make a year, it would be like you taking an item in your house that, that was worth a year of your wages and just dumping it on top of Jesus because you loved him. A whole year wage is gone. So Judas thinks that's not wise. And, and, and some of the commentaries said, look, we already know this family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had to have some kind of status just by how many people came to mourn. And, and it could be that they were just wealthy and they, 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 because they could, they could have this, or it could have been a family heirloom, something that they had for years. And Mary decided today's the day that it's finally useful what it's supposed to be useful for us to show our adoration and devotion to Jesus. There's different opinions on that. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the point's there. So... So here comes Judas and his comments, and we're, we're going to preach a little bit right here. He's acting as if he's concerned about the poor. And he thinks this is the wrong thing to do, he says. So here's what we get down to. Now listen, th th don't miss this. It's important because this, this is something we've got to figure out with the churches because we've got the same problem a little bit. You've got to be real careful with this. Judas is saying... This is the wrong thing to do because it could be given to the poor. Or this is extravagant, unqualified devotion to Jesus. Did you just rob from the poor or are you just devoted to Jesus? That's what it, that, that, and now he's, he's siding on the poor. You think, well, what's wrong with helping the poor? Nothing. Are we told to take care of the poor? We are. Jesus, as a matter of fact, is going to say something here at the end. This may blow your mind. So, but listen. So, this is where we have to be careful. Because I've seen this a lot. Especially with our younger people. Younger people, learn that a little bit. Pay attention. Okay? This is where you have to be careful with the social gospel. Be real careful with this. Because sometimes the social gospel just turns into social work. And I got news for you. The fallen creation can be convinced to go help people that need help. That you can break somebody's heart whether they love Jesus or not over somebody being in a bad situation. But listen to this. What we have to be careful of is that we get the right balance that, that we don't replace worship and adoration for Jesus with social activism. You all with me? 
be real careful when suddenly you have a bunch of programs and you got a bunch of social activism going. These are the missionaries that get sent off to these places to, to bring the gospel. You go to visit them, you keep going back, and they keep feeding people and they keep getting clean water for people and they keep working on the sewage, which is great. And you keep saying, are we worshiping Jesus here yet? And sometimes you'll hear things like, well, we're just trying to earn the right to do that. I want to get to know how long does that take? I mean, at some point, is this ever going to turn to evangelism? Because let me tell you what we don't need to do. And it's not the role of the church to make people comfortable as they go to hell. That's not the role. Hey, you know what? When I went to hell, my stomach was full and I had clean water. And, and how about this? I wasn't sleeping in human waste. Now I'm in hell, but at least before I went to hell, I was more comfortable. That's not our role. Now, are we supposed to help people? Yes. But how do we ultimately help people? We point them to Jesus. Be careful of the social gospel. Be sure it doesn't turn into social activism because the world's got that covered. And we, are we supposed to help people? Yes. Why? To get a chance to share Jesus with them. If we leave the Jesus part out, I got news for you, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And see, that's what Judas is showing us an example. If that's your mindset, your mindset is the mindset of Judas. But if your mindset is the adoration and the worship of Jesus Christ, then your mindset's a lot like Mary's. And I got news for you. Jesus is about to clear it which one was right. And it wasn't Judas. <laughs> and it wasn't. Don't hear the wrong thing here. I don't say abandon our responsibilities. I'm saying get our responsibility right. Get it right under the authority of Christ. So here comes Judas, and he's really preaching. I got another thing to say about Judas, too. So John tells us why Judas said it. Because see why? John already knows. See, John, John's coming back to give us history now. He, he's not wondering. He knows what happened. So he comes back and said, he said this, talking about Judas, not because he cared about the poor. So John said, oh, I know this guy. I figured him out. He didn't do this. Now, at the time, I didn't know it. But he didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. So undoubtedly, they figured out after time, Judas is stealing from us. So now we know what Judas really said. We need to help the poor. You know what Judas said? 300 denarii? I get that in this bag. I'll pull some of that out for myself. So he really didn't care about the poor, did he? Sounded good. Maybe, probably made a good commercial. Maybe a lot of people cry. But he wasn't nothing but a thief. And John knows this. Now, here's what, here comes the conviction. Here's what you got to look out for. Remember when Jesus says, man, all kinds of people claim they're devoted to me. But how do you know who really is? Only those who are doing the will of my Father. If you love me, obey my commands. But here's what's scary. Judas was such a fake and so good at it, they put him in charge of the money. Have you ever thought about that? Judas didn't just get to hang around. And boy, we see this at churches all the time, don't we? When we don't do a good job of discerning and we give people a whole lot of responsibility and all they were were a fake. Judas was so believable in his devotion to Jesus, that he was given charge of the money. Now, see, John, love you, John. It's easy now for you to come back and say he was a thief and he didn't mean it, but y'all didn't catch it then. 
He had y'all fooled. So here's the question we got to ask. Who's got us fooled right now? Or do you have me fooled? Are you a scam? Because remember what we always say. It's not what you profess that tells me what you believe. Everybody can profess one thing and do another. Judas is doing it right here. But you know what's impossible? For you to live something other than what you believe. So what you actually do is actually the truth of your devotion or not to Jesus. Or are you just trying to make up something about the poor so you can steal from the ministry? They said, I looked at some of the other, you know, some of the others say that he had, um, that he kept the money bag. And then if you go back and look at the, some of the, the English standard is, is a later, it's a little more literal. I found the best English word to go with the best Greek word or the Hebrew word. But in some of the other translations of English, they use he kept the money bag. And they said, but the, the, the word in Greek really says he lifted. You know how you say shoplifter? He was lifting from the money bag, meaning he was, he was pulling some off to himself. Undoubtedly, at some point, they find this out. But really, if you look at what we know about him ourselves, how did they get him to give up Jesus? Money. So why couldn't they just give him to give up Jesus? Because, remember people say all the time, well, Judas just was really trying to get Jesus. They were trying, he was trying to force Jesus' hand because he was a, a military guy and he wanted Jesus to lead a rebellion to overthrow the Romans. Certainly a possibility, but I got news for you. If that's the case, you didn't have to pay him 30 pieces of silver then. No, he did it because they said, how about 30 pieces of silver? And he said, you know what? That, that'll work. So he had an issue, but he was a fake. He was a fake. He's in the 12, and he's such a good fake, he's in the 12 and is given huge responsibility. And let me tell you something. This still goes on. This still goes on. So Judas, of course, had a reputation of stealing, and he did. So now Jesus is going to respond to Mr. Judas, who's pontificating how he cannot believe that this expensive ointment has been wasted, is what he's saying. Wasted to, to try to somehow put it on Jesus' feet. Jesus, of course, would he's probably doing this. Well, I'll tell you, what Jesus would want us to give to the poor. See, watch out for this kind of stuff. I had a lot of fun one time had a group of people that were headed off to see the Atlanta Braves play and they stopped by and Bubba and I were having fun. We used to do this thing. We would get up on roof and we would throw biscuits and people would catch them and we would throw you free breakfast and we were broadcasting there. Well, some of the biscuits would bounce around and some of this woman, she just, I mean, she wore us out. How dare y'all throw this food? You claim to be Christians and you're throwing this food while so many people need food. So Bubba and I said, well, where are y'all headed? I said, to the Atlanta Brave game. How much are those tickets? Why don't you just take that money and give it to the poor? Why do you have Braves tickets? How can you go to the Braves game when people need your money? And they looked kind of stupid at that point, And they realized, oh, yeah, I mean, hey, you could play that game all day long. You know, but Jesus clarifies... What's going on here? First of all, we know that Judas is a hypocrite. So Jesus says clearly, leave her alone. Hey, back off her to Judas. Of course, Jesus knows the whole Judas deal as well. And unlike John, he knew it before it happened. Okay. Leave her alone 
so that she may keep it, underline that, for the day of my burial. And look at eight. I love when Jesus has those moments where he gets a little controversial, especially when, when the people start the social gospel stuff. For the poor you, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So there's always going to be poor people. That's right. Until I redeem this place, you always going to have poor people. Now, let me be clear. He's not saying don't care about the poor. What he's saying is, hey, what we do for the poor, and this time would have been they always pulled out alms and gave it to the poor. Y'all keep that going. What's happening here today to have anything to do with that? The, whole, the, the poor are always going to be. As a matter of fact, if you took every bit of this, somehow you'd run out of it and you still have poor people. Keep taking care of the poor. That's not what this is about. But what this woman didn't do is take anything away from the poor. Because you know what she's done? She has prepared me for the burial that is actually going to solve everybody's real problem, including the poor, and that's redemption. Hey, I got news for you. If the world deems you to be poor, but you got Jesus, you're not poor. And if you're as wealthy and have anything you want, buy anything you want, eat till your gut is, is full, and as the Bible said, like I used to do, make your belly your God. But you don't have Jesus, you got nothing. And neither one of those, by the way, is an indicator of devotion to Jesus. Some of the greediest people that I've ever met are poor. They always down there ready for that lottery, but they're going to buy. They're going to find a way to get a lottery ticket because they, you know, what they're obsessed with wealth. And I know some people have a lot, and all they do is give, and they have it in the proper place, and they're they're as devoted to Jesus as any human being I ever knew. So it's not an indicator one way or the other. But what he's saying is, there's people that y'all need to continue to take care of, but what just happened here doesn't have anything to do with that. Now, here, let's unpack this a little bit, and then, then we'll get ready to close today. So he's certainly not saying don't help the poor. But what he's saying is, leave her alone. And on this thing when he says, so that she may keep it. What does he mean? Leave her alone so that she may keep it. Keep what? I mean, she just dumped it all out. She's not keeping it. Well, if you look at what's being said here, again, this is where Greek and English, we got a little bit of issue, and, and the English Standard Version is doing the best that, 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 that it can do with it. What he's saying is, leave her alone that she may receive the proper credit for what she just did. This has been credited to her, and she's going to always have it. Don't take away her moment that she did the right thing. I'm crediting this to her life. So you leave her alone so that you don't ruin this moment. You know, this, this is the moment where, and, and this has happened before. I was invited to come and speak, and this could happen with anybody, but I've seen this happen in every place. I was invited to come speak to a, a group of business leaders in Jackson, Mississippi one time. And most of these guys were lost. And some of the followers of Jesus had done a good job using this business leaders meeting. We're going to get you in front of the gospel. They did a great job with it. Beautifully done. And I even got to the time at Acts chapter 2 when it was time for them to make a decision. And I said, look, the first time that Peter gets this right, he preaches the gospel. It says their hearts were pierced. A lot of you, your heart's pierced right now because you've just heard the gospel. And you may be thinking just what they were saying, Peter, what must we do? And Peter said, repent, which means to turn to 180 from sin and come to Jesus. That's the first time the gospel was ever presented right, and it had a response. What are we supposed to do? He didn't say, go home. He said, he said repent, and then he said, rise, come forward, be baptized. And they even gave us how many people did that that day. 
which is the reason why that I won't ever let anybody tell me that there's something wrong with a time of response. Good enough for Acts chapter 2, good enough for me. So anyway, and, and I'm not saying that I know the integrity of these people. I don't know everyone's heart, but I'm certainly not going to deny them the chance to come forward. Billy Sunday said it right. Here's their chance. Here come people. How many people do you think? Hey, hey, we had 303 people give their life to Jesus today. Billy Sunday said, we'll see. I mean, eventually you'll know. But that, you don't deny people a chance to respond just because some people turn out not to have been sincere. That's not a reason to deny that. So anyway, we did that. People gave their life to Jesus. And man, we're celebrating. And in that moment, I'm sitting there going back to Birmingham, and I mean, I'm literally just you know, welling up, excited to what happened, and the guy stops me at the door. Well, I was very disappointed in you. I'm like, what? I just don't think you explained baptism right. I said, that's your takeaway? I said that he said for them to rise and be baptized. But what we had here was one of these baptism is part of our salvation denominational issues. And this idiot is here for the gospel to be presented to a dying secular world. And men submitted to the authority of Jesus that day. And instead of allowing me to keep it, he wanted to run it down. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. You're trying to take away her, what she did and what she did was right. And you're trying, to be, you're trying to act like the adversary and come in here and somehow make this out to be something wrong. When what she did was right, leave her alone. It's appropriate what she did. You're the one that doesn't have it right. You're the one that doesn't have it right. She realizes that in this moment, she doesn't have long to have me in her presence, in her house, lounging by her table, that God has become a man and is in her presence. This, this God becomes a man thing has a start and end date, and it's about to be over. Now, praise the Lord, it's about to be over because redemption is coming. But he's saying, this right here, she's preparing me for burial. She's preparing me for what I'm about to do. And all you got to talk about is the poor. But really, you just want to steal the money anyway. Are you going to run her down? Jesus is not going to allow it. He says, let her keep it. Let her keep it. Because this moment and this time you have with me is not going to last much longer. Hey, keep on giving alms to the poor. That's going to continue until I come back the second time. You just keep on doing it. You ain't never going to solve it. But you keep on doing it because that may be a way for you to be the hands and feet of me and to bring somebody to Jesus. And if you can take care of somebody and give them something to eat, you do that. But what's happening right now is on a limited time. Because the lowly servant, that time's almost over. And so that's the point he's making. So it doesn't take long to happen after that. And here it comes. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. You think Lazarus not a draw? So Lazarus is in this house? The guy who was dead and was four days stinking? Hey, Lazarus is up here lounging around with Jesus. So it's a two. Hey, picture that card. Hey, tonight, for one night only, Jesus and Lazarus. I mean, there's people saying, we got to get to this house. They're both there. I mean, it's a double bill. We got the guy who rose him from the dead, and we got the guy that was risen from the dead in the same place. So people were coming there. And so what, what is that? Again, back to the original problem. Now the chief priest said, uh-oh. 
Now Jesus is parading around his best sign ever. And people are going over there, and this is difficult, so what did they say? So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Think about it. Did you ever think about that? Lazarus is a smart man. They don't need Lazarus walking around. If you think the guy's parents coming in and saying, yeah, he's been blind since the time he was born, you think that's bad? Hey, he's been paralyzed uh, his whole life. You think that's bad? He was dead. Because we could all go around, I'm not sure he was really blind. If something happened. Uh, is he a paralytic? I mean, really? I mean, he might have said, maybe he was faking it. No, we know Lazarus was dead because he'd been in there for four days. He's a problem. Instead of celebrating it, they say, for us to retain our power, we've got to kill him and Jesus. I bet that was kind of a rough deal for Lazarus. You know, hey, I was in, I was in paradise, and now you've brought me back, and everybody's trying to kill me again. And you know what we know? Lazarus died again. So it's all about the glorification of Jesus. And so now they realize if these people can continue to see Jesus and see Lazarus at the same time, then we've got to destroy both of them. How would you like to know that people considered you to be so problematic that you would be worthy of killing? If killing you and stopping your testimony for Jesus could keep people from knowing Jesus, is anybody in this room, anybody watching this, anybody listening, any of us worthy to be killed? Or whether we live or die, you know, how much impact on anybody coming to Jesus anyway? I mean, if, if they came in and they said, all right, we're the enemies of Jesus, we're the enemies of the gospel, you know, they got this Wednesday Bible study going on. Yeah. And they said, we can't kill them all. So give me the list of the ones that we have to kill. Would you be on that list? Well, I hope I am. I'm going to work to be on that list. Or letting you live, no harm there. Matter of fact, he confuses more people than he brings to Jesus. He turns them away from it. Somebody said, we're going to kill that one. No, he's fine. Kill the one next to him. Matter of fact, leave him out there. He, 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 he works more for us than he does for Jesus. Why? Terribly inconsistent. Confusing even. Can't be trusted. Can you be trusted with the gospel? Can you be trusted to your love and adoration filling every room that you walk into? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this vision and, and thank you for the conviction of it. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to continue to be shown so much mercy by you. Uh, but may we always stick to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, that the grace you've shown us, may you never think it's in vain. May we be worthy to be wiped out because of our devotion to you. I pray, Lord, that you protect us. I pray, Lord, that you keep us at perfect peace. But ultimately, Lord, I pray that we be found faithful to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.